Everyone, remain calm. Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and screaming. Somebody talk to me, what is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. You're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. You want to consult here or in my bungalow? <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Well, we're back. Hello and welcome to the 152nd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I am your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. It's been another huge week for Jurassic fans, with more and more promotions debuting, and Fallen Kingdom had its world premiere in Spain, to seemingly rave reviews, um, as if I couldn't get any more hyped for this movie. They go ahead and premiere it, and people have loved it. I am so psyched to finally get to see this in, in, in little under a month, so we got some time to go, but... In the meantime, we do have a fantastic episode for you. We're going to bring you a little bit of news regarding the marketing budget for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and some more stuff from Loot Crate that's debuting in one of their upcoming boxes. We also bring you episode 23 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Now, last episode featured some slightly uh, hopeful things, sort of. Um, We also started to get some of the people off the island before it blows, but then kind of left... An important few back on the island. I don't know. In store for us this week are some more tie-ins to Jurassic Park 3. And uh, that fate of the island that hangs in the balance. Will it be destroyed? Will it be saved? It's another incredible episode. We'll find out what happens to a lot of our favorite characters here. After Extinction Level, I'll give you my thoughts in the after show, wrapping up some of the best moments from episode 23. Now, following that, Arjun will give us a quick look at some extinct scenes from Extinction Level. Following that, we're going to hear a fun segment from the hosts of the awesome dinosaur podcast, I Know Dino, Sabrina and Garrett. Now, they put together basically a compendium of dinosaur facts and information for a lot of the dinosaurs that we may be seeing here on the screen in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Now, I really love the work that they do on their podcast, and today they're going to bring you a wealth of knowledge here on our podcast. So, if you want to learn more about all those amazing dinosaurs that are coming up in the movie, don't miss that segment. Rounding out the show, we're going to hear from Tom Fishenden in the Innovation Center. He got the chance to visit the MCM Comic Con this past weekend, which featured a ton of great Jurassic um, tie-ins uh, from Universal UK. You had Funko Europe out there, Smart Arts Prince. There was so much going on Jurassic-wise. I think he even got to go out to the um, amazing uh, T-Rex statue out in London, so... We're going to hear from him later on in the show, so don't miss that one as well. Of course, we have a few plugs here before we get the show underway. Now, last week, our bonus episode was another toy review uh, featuring a lot of the items that Mattel sent us directly. Uh, The first one was the Imaginext Walking Indoraptor, which is a really, really, really cool toy for kids. My kid has been loving that thing. We also did the uh, Velociraptor Blue figure. Uh, I think that's the Attack Pack one. And we also looked at the Owen in 
Baby Blue. Now, the Baby Blue that comes in that, the little baby dinosaur, is so amazing. I love that thing so much. And as a bonus item, one of the ones that we already owned, we did the Stiggy figure, Stiggy Moloch. Uh, I think it was a damage, battle damage one. That thing is really cool. We have not that video, but we did upload also a bunch of stuff to our our YouTube page last week. We did get a, a few of the unboxing videos from the uh, Matchbox Island Escape playset. I unboxed uh, a bunch of the blind bag items from th- that previous week, and then that toy review from the week before that, uh, the uh, Matchbox cars, the Island Escape, and uh, the blind bags, and the Lego Brickheads was uploaded there. So that review, you can watch it in its full. And then also, Tom Fishenden got a chance to dive into uh, a few of the new figures. He actually got that new Claire and Stegosaurus. It's so cool. Um, he got Wheatley, which is a new character coming up here. And uh, the Lockwood Battle Damage Owen, which is um, it's a nice variant to the many Owens that we've already seen so far. And uh, we did finally get around to uploading, I believe it was episode 150 to YouTube. We're trying to catch up on the main episodes over on YouTube. It's been a long time coming. We have so much YouTube content coming up recently. And uh, next week is not going to be any different. It's going to be coming at you hard and fast. So uh, make sure to keep an eye out for all that stuff. And of course, speaking of next week, the bonus episode for next week is a Tory review, again, with a lot of the uh, the Mattel stuff that was sent to us. We have Claire and her gyrosphere, another awesome item. I really, really love that uh, story pack one. We also have the Indoraptor and the T-Rex mask for kids. Those are really cool. We did the Gallimimus uh, attack pack figure and also a bonus item, one of the ones that we already owned, the Allosaurus Roarvor, um, another fantastic um, electronic item there. So that's another fun episode. We're going to be uploading a lot more stuff, like I said, to YouTube, to our website next week. So make sure to keep your eyes out. Anyway, man, this is another packed episode full of a ton of great segments. So why don't we get this one started off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Access rate program. Access new security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, my head being right all the time. It's day. I guarantee it. First up here in the news, we actually have a figure that was released from Deadline.com. Now, this figure is the global promotional campaign value, and uh, Universal has really done their job this time around. They have doubled the size of their partner program from Jurassic World three years ago, and uh, that number is $185 million dollars for this promo campaign. That's incredible. So that figure um, actually outweighs um, Avengers Infinity War at $150 million, Spider-Man Homecoming at $140 million, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at $80 million. Now, uh, that is that is just crazy. They've been doing uh, promotional TV spots, um, some of which debut back uh, at the Super Bowl with that Jeep spot and the uh, the TV spot there as well. They've partnered up with Doritos for the first time. You've seen all those amazing uh, Doritos bags out there. 
tons of things that people are collecting now, like all these these promotional tie-ins, like the Doritos, the Dr. Pepper. You have I've seen juicy fruit gum, candy, other kinds of crazy stuff out there that we're all kind of collecting these items. So they're really doing their job in that uh, department. So it looks like also Ferrero, Kellogg's, Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen has all kinds of awesome stuff out there as well. They have the the new Blizzard, I guess it is, the Jurassic Chomp. And a lot of people have been taking pictures of the awesome promo material that are, I guess, like hanging in the stores and whatnot. And it looks awesome. So I know you guys have been scouring the stores looking for all this promo material. But we now know that it's $185 million. Uh, This is huge. This is great. And it shows that they're really putting in the effort this time around. And I hope it pays off because I've always been saying here that I'm not sure Fallen Kingdom is going to hit the mark as far as Jurassic World did in numbers in the box office. But they're really trying to bank on it here with that $185 million. So we'll see if that actually works out. If you want more information on everything dealing with that promo campaign, head to the link in our show notes. So the theme for Loot Crate's core June box has been revealed, and it is Colossal. Now, here on one of their promo materials, it says Size Matters. We're featuring Colossal characters with larger-than-life collectibles and gear you can't get anywhere else. Trust us, this is going to be big. So a lot of the uh, themes here, uh, they revolve around all these things. Like this one is, for instance, Colossal. So everything in this box is going to feature something uh, pertaining to something big, not gonna, not necessarily a big item, but um, so you have uh, features here from Godzilla, Marvel, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park. So that's why I'm mentioning it here because Loot Crate does have a Jurassic Park item in their box. The promo image does feature Grant leaning on a Triceratops. So this might be big, I guess. Uh, now the Colossal Crate. You, it, uh, the date ends 6:19 at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time when you can order this. So make sure to get your orders in before that. Uh, supplies are limited, I guess they say. But um, so far, it doesn't look like there's any indication as what the items are just yet. Um, I think the Ghostbusters item was revealed already, and it looks like it's one of those jaw- drawstring backpacks. Nothing too fancy there. I know I recently um, got rid of my loot crates because this year specifically, I think there's been a significant drop in the items that have been in the crates, but I might be diving back in this month uh, since there is a Jurassic Park item. Um, I know you can usually buy a lot of these items on the uh, secondary market, you know, on eBay or even on Loot Crate's site a few months down the road. So it'll be interesting to see what pops up. I'm going to keep my eye close here on it and make sure you guys know just as soon as I know. Um, But uh, are you guys going to be picking this up? Have you heard about this one yet? I'm going to put the link in the show notes if you want to pick this one up yourself. Oh, there it is. There it is. And now, episode 23 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Previously on Extinction Level Jurassic Park. You guys all go back with that guy. I'll continue with the other car and get the others. Not all our men are in yet. If you have the cure, be sure to bring it with you. Arm yourselves. Raptors, out front. Get us out of here. We're stuck. We have to move. You drive. Hold on. 
We're clear. I see the village. I know the direction we need to go. We don't want to lose time on the evacuation. Try and reach them, or else we'll consider them lost in action. What's this about a family on the island? Which river? I guess they must be on Canal Ondo. We'll pick them up. What's going on? We're evacuating. Then I've got to get my data and the cure. I need to take those with me. Ah, oh, Dr. Harding. I need you to come with me to the extraction point. Has Sarah returned? No. They can't evacuate us yet. I'll be out momentarily. We're going. Get inside. I need to get the cure. Dr. Harding is coming in a moment. Who's that? One of your visitors. He's hurt. What? Dad? Sarah, get back here. Get inside. Get the disc from my office. And I need the sample. Well, they brought this on themselves. Close the doors. We're moving. Wait, you can't leave them! I assure you I can. We've been very clear on this from the moment we first contacted you. No delays. What? You're just gonna leave us here? Episode 23, Annihilation. At the enclosed worker village on Sorna in the animal quarters, Jerry Harding walks past the animal cages he had been opening one by one. Now looking at the second packing, opening the cage. Go. I cannot let you die in here. Go. Be free. The only animals left now are the three young velociraptors, two greyish and one brown, growling and hissing at him. Looking at these cages, Jerry hesitates. Now, what do I do with you? Can I let you go too? Outside he hears the sound of the helicopters leaving. I guess I'm done for anyway. He opens the cages and while he stays kneeled, he looks down at the ground, expecting the worst. Still looking down, he speaks to the raptors. Go. You're free. Hissing, growling and uncertain, the three young raptors move sideways in their cage, approaching the exit with distrust. Low to the ground, they come out of the cage, growling at Gerald. Jerry moves, crouching even more into himself, pressing his chest against his knees. But nothing happens. The young raptors ran for the door. As they quickly run past Sarah Harding, who is now just standing outside the door of the entrance, she jumps aside. Hissing as they go, Sarah looks after them, surprised and a little scared for a moment. Then she steps inside. Dad? Dad, are you alright? She moves for her father, helping him getting to his feet. Sarah, you're back. What are you doing here? You should be on that helicopter. I know, but I couldn't let you stay out there alone now, could I? If I'd have known you were here, I... That's not important now. Then Tim, who also came after Sarah, comes walking in too. Is he okay? Because I think he lost his mind letting those raptors out. I'm okay. Now what do we do? I think we should try to contact Hoskins. He must still be out there too. I think I think there's a radio in Henry's office. They move through the soundproofed compartment to Henry Wu's research office. The hard drive and the sample still lying on the desk. Sarah moves for the radio behind the desk and tries to reach Hoskins. Hoskins, come in. Nothing. Another frequency. Hoskins, this is Sarah Harding. We have to move for the cliffs. Maybe we could signal them somehow. We should take this. And Jerry takes the disc and the cure of Henry Wu's desk, putting them in his inner jacket pocket. Sarah switches frequencies again. Hoskins, come in, over! In the jungles on Sorna, Hoskins clicks off his radio again. He's sitting crouched down, surrounded by green ferns and a thorn bush. He turns his attention to something out there. Raptors. Hoskins whispers. What do you want? Why not kill them? He's looking at four people, surrounded by raptors. What's that? From his viewpoint, he sees the woman's back, and through her arms, he sees that the man behind her pushes two eggs forward towards her. Eggs? 
A male raptor coughs, having spotted the eggs. Is that what you're after? Eggs? He sees the alpha female commanding the other raptors in the pack. When a helicopter passes overhead, Hoskins looks up, but sees nothing. The raptors communicate to each other and Hoskins sees them picking up the eggs. <sighs> Animals this far can be trained. Imagine that. Train killers. Then the raptors run off. One passes by Hoskins very close, sees him and hisses. Hoskins closes his eyes and looks down, but the raptor moves on, following the alpha female and the rest of the pack. Slowly Hoskins opens his eyes and sighs relieved. He looks back at the location where the family was sitting. They moved away. Horse crab, where'd they go? Then in the distance, he hears a voice shouting. A short moment later, as the helicopters depart from the beach, Hoskins comes out of the jungle line. He sees two helicopters flying in the direction of an aircraft carrier out on the ocean, and one flying directly in the direction of the mainland. The beach is full of soldiers, securing the area. Now headed back to the landing crafts, one of them looking back spots Hoskins. There's another one. What happened? Why are you not with your friends? Hoskins approaches the soldier, who is trying to guide Hoskins away from the jungle. Not my friends. Tell me. Where's that helicopter going? Straight to Costa Rica. Lawyer, call them out. To be guaranteed and questioned there. You can come with us, sir. We need to be off. Any others behind you? Or are you the last? I'm alone. Good. Come on. The helicopter's carrying Henry Wu, the commander and the control workers, is landing on deck, while a heavily armed carrier strike group of six jets is preparing for takeoff. More bombs per jet. As soon as the helicopter lands, the doors are opened and Henry Wu jumps out trying to run to the preparing jets, but he is held back by the USAF soldier coming after him, shouting over the noise of the jets and helicopter. I cannot let you through, sir. Please follow them. They'll guide you to your quarters. Henry Wu has to shout back. You can't do this. You can't bomb the island. I need something that's out there. That's not up to us, sir. Go with them. You can't be here. Desperately, Henry Wu walks back to the officer, now coming out of the helicopter. I need to speak with your commander, please! Alright, hold on. The officer pushes a button on a radio near his shoulder and speaks into it. Henry Wu cannot hear what he's saying with all the other sounds on the ship. It's like an industry area. The officer lets go of his radio and looks up. Okay, he's agreed to hear you. The officer looks at the two soldiers from the helicopter, guiding the commander and the three control workers together with Ryan and Raymond. Take them to the mess hall, we'll meet you there. Then he turns back to Henry Wu. Come on, come with me. The officer leads Henry Wu into the superstructure, leading up a few stairs to the bridge. While climbing the stairs, Henry Wu hears the engines of the jets firing up, almost ready. Come on, come on. They arrive at bridge level, and the officer opens the door. They enter onto the bridge. Through the windows of the bridge, Henry Wu sees the planes outside, almost ready for takeoff. People leaving the platform. Over the radio, the helicopter pilot, taking the Kirby family back to Costa Rica, sounds panicking. They're flying right past us. Call them off. Abort the mission. The captain of the ship looks back annoyed. You heard that? Your flying reptiles are leaving the island. What the hell are you guys pulling? Didn't I tell you there would be no delay? Through the window, Henry Wood sees the first plane take off, quickly followed by the others one by one. You really want the extinction of these creatures credited to humanity? The captain laughs at this. For all I care, they died from the disease they carry. I'm just saving humanity from the same fate. The cure is out there on the island. 
Then I'm sorry. I told you to take it, Nikki. I must assume you're trying to trick me, and there is no cure. They didn't let me take it. Trust me, lives depend on it. If you bomb the island, you destroy all data, and a cure can never be created in time if those pteranodons start an outbreak. I'm telling you, you're making a mistake. The disease is more deadly now than it ever was. We need that cure. The captain remained silent for a moment, thinking. Then he picks up a horn. This is the captain of Carl Vinson. I need to speak with the president immediately. We don't have time. Abort the mission. Strike leader, approaching target. As the captain explains the situation over the phone, Henry will brings his hands up to his head, digging his fingers into his hair. And while the captain listens to the president... Strike leader, dropping bombs. No! On the island, Sarah, Tim and Jerry are standing outside the wall, looking up at the jets so passing overhead. Four dots coming down. They're dropping the bombs. Move! They run into the jungle and the ground shakes when behind them the bombs hit the village, blasting away the wall in their direction. Balls of fire reaching for the sky. Sarah stops, having reached the end of the jungle, looking down at the river below. Tim almost runs into her, with Jerry only just behind. No! Jump! Go! A fourth bomb hits right behind them, blasting Sarah and Tim off the cliff. Sarah falling backward, trying to turn further back into the air to make a smooth dive at first. Tim falling forward, swaying his legs to gain a straight position, feet first, both going deep underwater. Thank you again for listening to episode 23 of Extinction Level. It doesn't seem to look good for Isla Sorna, nor for Sarah and Tim. And what about Jerry Harding? In this episode you heard the voices of Jurassic Unicast Steve Hurl as Jerry Harding, the Bryce Dallet Howard Network's Jennifer Terrick as Sarah Harding, myself as Tim Murphy, Jaroslav Kosmina as Vic Hoskins, who made it off the island as we knew from Jurassic World, obviously. Check out Jaroslav's work on jaroslavkosminaart.com or via at Jaros428 on Twitter. Also, you heard another great performance of Jurassic Cast podcast, Ross Lane as Henry Wu, Jay and Ted's Ted Brothers as the Navy Captain, Nick Allen as the USAF Soldier, Zig Triceratops as the Officer, and the new voices you heard in this episode were those of Jurassic Collectibles as the Strike Leader, Alex Boomstick with Cole as the Soldier on the Beach, and the Missing Compies podcast, Justin Kiley as the Helicopter Pilot Flying the Kirby's. Thank you all for participating guys, greatly appreciated. How will all this continue? You'll hear that in episode 24 in a couple of weeks. Annihilation. Were you ready for that? I know I wasn't. That was uh that was that was tough. That was um interesting. Now man, I, I just I had some serious feelings. At the end of that one specifically, the music, uh, the, the acting, the sound effects, it was really, really impactful in a big way, I think. We're talking about Isla Sorna here. Um, it's, uh, you know, an island that we love. We love this one a lot. We always want to see this one again. We've only seen it. Well, I mean, yeah, we've seen it twice now, but we just constantly want to see this island again and again. And uh, we're seeing it here, maybe for the last time. I'm not too sure yet, but um, Arjun again leaves us on a big cliffhanger in this episode, kind of there. So last episode um, featured a lot of the people getting off the island 
except for Jerry, Sarah, and Tim. Um, now, Jerry is back in the compound there. He is emptying the cages with the dinosaurs inside. I guess he feels like it's a little inhumane to kind of get off these islands and uh, leave these dinosaurs to die in these crates. So good on Jerry. He, um, he does hear the helicopter leave, and he's basically like, well, hey, guys, I guess uh, it's just me and you, you know? So I'm going to let the, the herbivores free, and I'm going to also let the, these three small raptors free. And uh, he takes a chance. He's like, all right, guys, you're free to go. Go go ahead. Please don't hurt me, even though I'm probably going to die anyway, but please don't hurt me. And at that moment, basically, Sarah shows up in the lab. They basically have this touching moment like, you know, oh, my God, you're still here. Oh, no. Um, but they, they realize that, you know, we still got to get off this island. They're not giving up just yet. Sarah's like, let's go. We need to contact somebody. So they, they try to contact Hoskins. They move into Wu's research office there, and uh, there's a radio there. So they, they try. They try. But there's no response from Hoskins. There was a little something on the radio. I'm not sure I caught exactly what it was, but um, uh, I don't know if maybe it was like a little Easter egg from Arjun or not. But uh, I'll, I'll be interested to hear back. Uh, but uh, Jerry, at that point, he decides, you know, i got to take this disc and the cure, puts them in his jacket pocket, and uh, I don't know, they, they just kind of leave it off there. We end up back with Hoskins, and he, he's been the guy that's, like, following along, like, the storyline with Jurassic Park 3 here in these later episodes. Now, he is watching the scenario break down from the end, like, the very end of Jurassic Park 3 with the raptors encountering uh, Grant's... Uh, uh, who else is there? Eric, the Kirby's, and you know they're chasing them because they have those eggs in the bag. And uh, at that point, you know he's watching over this scenario going down, and he spots the eggs being handed over. He's like, "Eggs? This is about eggs? What's going on here?" He hears the helicopter go overhead. He doesn't see anything, but at that point, he kind of looks back to the group and he says, "Like, man, these raptors are smart. Like, they're communicating." Uh, he notices that they're like talking to each other, and that, at that point, like uh, something snaps in his head, and he's like, "I think these things can be trained. These basically, like, these are basically trained killers." Um, so, uh, you know, if people didn't hate the Kirby's enough already, uh, you know, maybe they're a part of this this scenario where raptors are beginning to be trained and and uh, you know used as killers in that situation so i don't know it's interesting but um the raptors of course you know they heard the helicopters they get out of there um they pass hoskins they don't really care too much about him i think they hissed at him but um he ends up uh here he like cowers for a second because i think he thinks he's dead uh, maybe a little bit of foreshadowing for hoskins there but um so he hears somebody on the beach calling Dr. Grant. Dr. Grant? Um, and then the Kirbys are like, no, that's a bad idea. That's Don't do that. But he's like, he sprints down to the beach. He's like, I got to get off this island as well. So I finally got to get in contact with these people. But those helicopters depart with the, the other group there. Another soldier spots Hoskins, which is which lucky, luckily for Hoskins. Not so luckily for himself, to be honest. And, uh, you know, some of the people in Jurassic World. But uh, that soldier's like, you know, I got some questions for you. What are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. Do you know these people? But uh, ends up taking them off the island. And apparently those helicopters are taking Grant, the Kirby's, and Billy to Costa Rica. So it's like a direct line right to the island there or to the land. 
Now, back on the aircraft carrier, uh, we have Wu, the control workers, and some others landed in their helicopter. Now, Wu is like, he's he's going crazy. He jumps off this, this helicopter. He sees that the fighter jets are preparing for takeoff. Henry runs. He's like, I got to stop these things. I'm going to run maybe, you know, in front of the jets. I don't know, wave my arms. Like, stop, stop, stop. But he's held back by some soldier there. You can't go over there, he says. But he's like, you look, uh, we got to stop these things. I, I can't have them blow up that island. The cure is over there. So he um, he gets into contact with the uh, commander, and the commander agrees. Like, I'm going to hear his plea. Um, so uh, Wu goes up to the bridge, and the, the planes are almost ready at that point. And all over the radio, you hear a pilot come in. He's like, look, uh, some pteranodons are flying past them. So... They're like, oh god, this is this is not good. Commander yells at him for the pteranodons getting off the island, um, and Henry basically explains, like, look, guy, like, we, you need to abort this mission. The cure will be destroyed, and especially if these pteranodons uh, get off the island and and you know make it to the mainland, they could start an outbreak, and this could be more deadly than ever if we don't stop this right now. So the captain's like. Oh, God. Now that we specifically know that these pteranodons are getting off, they do have a cure. Um, he thought he was, like, pulling his leg about this whole cure thing, but even now that he's off the island, he still wants to go back and save them. So the captain is like, all right, I'm going to make a call. I'm going to call the president, see if uh, he can help out here. But in the meantime, the strike leader in the plane, he's like, uh, dropping bombs. And Henry's just like, no! You can't, but we instantly cut back to the island, and you hear that music come in, and I'm just—I was just like, "Oh no, this is this is not going to be good." That's some sad music right there. So Sarah looks up, sees the planes, and they are dropping their bombs. It wasn't like a cliffhanger, like, "Oh, maybe they stopped it just in time." Well, nope, not not really. The explosions start. They run off into the jungle. That village that they were at is destroyed, but uh, this jungle is just not far enough, and they run straight into a cliff going down. Um, and basically, you know, Jerry's like, jump, jump off the cliff, and I guess they get their shot because a bomb jumps, or jumps, a bomb falls right behind Jerry and shoots them off the cliff. Sarah and Tim are blasted off the cliff. And I, I guess they do their best to Olympic dive into the pool. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know what everybody's up to at this moment. I mean, that bomb fell right behind Jerry. I think this might be bad news for Jerry Harding. You know, the guy that we saw back in Jurassic Park tending to the sick triceratops, he might be dead here. Uh, I think there's a good chance that his sacrifice came at this moment. Sarah and Tim are blasted off the cliff. Now, I think maybe they'll probably be safe as long as there's nothing too, uh, you know, menacing in the water there. But they splash down into the water. I think they'll probably be okay. And maybe, who knows, maybe they, the bombs are called off after that moment. Maybe the president's like, look, we need to stop. Uh, stop as soon as you can. But we do know that Jerry took the disc and the, uh, the cure. So where does that leave us? You know, did he? I don't think he blew up, but I think it blew up behind him. But these are probably some big bombs. I don't know how safe he was, how safe the cure was. Did it last until he fell on the cure? I don't know. There's a lot of questions I have in my head right now. Um, and I don't know if everybody's going to be safe here, but uh, we'll find out next time for sure.
So yet again, we had another all-star cast here. Arjun, of course, did a great job as Tim and the narrator. We also had Stephen Hurl, Jennifer Tarek, Yaroslav, uh, Boomstick Wiz, who I've seen on Twitter for years now. So it's great to finally hear him there. Um, Nick Allen, Ross Lane, Sick Triceratops, Justin Kiley, Ted Brothers, Jurassic Collectibles... Man, this has been awesome. This is another great episode here. And, of course, the music. We had a lot of uh, Jurassic music there. We also had some Bach, which is interesting and uh, really, um, really, you know, it made an impression for me at the end there. So that's uh, that's great. But, um, yeah, this is another stellar episode. Now, June is a pretty packed month coming up here. We have a lot of stuff on the schedule, a lot of bonus episodes, a lot of normal episodes. So coming on June 11th, we'll have episode 24 of Extinction Level. Um, And then uh, the 25th, we're going to actually have the 25th episode of Extinction Level. And then shortly after that, a few weeks later, we're going to have the uh, 26th episode, the final episode. So we got three more here for you. Um, It's going to be big. It's going to be crazy. I cannot wait. It's going to be a busy month, like I said, with uh, so much stuff going down. So hopefully it doesn't, none of this all gets lost in the mix. I hope you all enjoy it just as much. And I know we're going to have a lot of, you know, a ton of new listeners here on the bandwagon as Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom debuts. So if you guys haven't heard any of the previous episodes we have all of them listed up on our website on our podcast feed they're clearly indicated you know episode number wise so make sure to go back check all those episodes and also on the uh the extinction level youtube page you can actually listen to all of these without the rest of the podcast which is great because um arjun has done an amazing job putting these all together here and uh, in corporation here with us on the podcast. So this is all his work, and uh, he's just letting us present it to you guys first here. So if you want to check it all out, make sure to head to that YouTube page. We have his information in our show notes, so make sure to check it all out there. So please make sure to stick around for a few more weeks. 611, you'll hear episode 24 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. We're out of a job. Don't you mean extinct? Extinct scenes, or scenes that didn't make the cut into Extinction Level, Part 9. The Clash of the Raptor Packs. Befitting Episode 9 of Extinction Level, where a group of people would witness the Clash of Raptor Packs. For this ninth part of Extinct Scenes, I'd like to go into the origin of this scene from the first screenplay I wrote back in 2013. Just like in Extinction Level, a group of people would witness these animals fighting, and just like we hear on the show, the brownish tiger striped raptors would win. But there would be more at stake. In the earlier story, the alpha female of the greyish raptor pack would lead the tiger striped raptors away to allow her pack to escape. She would be driven to a cliff, and she would jump off into the ocean. Witnessing this, Sarah had her helicopter go in after the raptor and convinced them to save this alpha female. They'd let down a rope ladder, to which the alpha female would hold on while they would pull her out of the ocean and drop her back onto the island. This event was inspired by something I experienced with one of my cats when I was younger. My cat got stuck behind a wall which she could not get back over, and I couldn't get to her, so I would drop a ladder over the wall. My cat jumped up and held onto the ladder while I pulled it, cat and all, back over the wall. I was amazed at how smart my cat was, she'd been stuck behind the wall overnight. Anyway, Sarah would look down at the raptor, and seeing it look back up at her, not with any malice, but with some kind of relief. They would drop the raptor and try to head back to the village, 
but the weight of the raptor had caused them to use more fuel, and to avoid crashing into the jungle surrounding the village, the pilot decided it was better to land and call for backup. This would lead to the Tyrannosaurus attack, the rescue, and the Pteranodon attack mentioned in part 3, detailing Ryan's story. As mentioned, Sarah would come to accompany the survivors of the helicopter attack, and continue alone once one had been killed and another badly injured. Nearing the gate in the village walls, close to the cliffs near the ocean, she would be stopped by two Tyrannosaurs which were there in her way to the gate. They didn't attack her yet, but she didn't want to try and just walk past them. At this time the raptor pack would come across her path again, and the pack threatened to attack her, until she thought she saw recognition in the eyes of the alpha female. Having drawn the attention of the Rexus too, the alpha female barked and the raptors attacked the Rexus instead of Sarah, letting Sarah escape climbing down the cliff, finding a cave to hide in, until shortly after the bombs were dropped and Isla Sorna was destroyed. A blast of fire would come through the cave and Sarah jumped down into the ocean. Her story would continue on a scorched Isla Sorna, and she would encounter the same thing that will be the subject of episode 24 of Extinction Level, although it would play out a little differently. Mommy's very angry. This is in the pit and snake No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Is that good? Find it. Fantastic. That's the part they didn't like. I believe I've spent enough time in the company of death. Hang on, this is going to be bad. Hi Jurassic fans, I'm Garrett. I'm Sabrina. And we generally are podcasting on our show, I Know Dino, but we're here to give some insights into some of the dinosaurs that we might see in Jurassic World and what we know about them as of now and maybe what that means about how they'll be portrayed in the movie. So... We're going to go through a few different dinosaurs and some of their features, comparisons to other dinosaurs in the movies, and then kind of our guesses about what they might be like. So up first, we've got Metriacanthosaurus, which does have a toy that's been released, but we don't really know too much about what's going to be in the movie so far. It's made brief appearances. <laughs> In Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, and by that I mean it was on a Jurassic Park brochure in the movie, and it was made as a movie prop, makes sense, and it was in the Jurassic World brochure and on the Jurassic World website. Yeah, and it was also on a cooler in Jurassic Park. If you have keen eyes, you might have spotted it there. Yeah, so based on that, I don't know how big of a role it'll play in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, and... Really, we don't have that much information about the dinosaur because all that we have of it is a hip, leg, and part of the backbone, so it's not a real complete specimen. We've had it for a long time, though. They found it way back in 1923, specifically Friedrich von Huhn described it way back then. And back then, they just categorized it as a megalosaurus because they just kind of categorized all sorts of <laughs> dinosaurs. They didn't know what they were as megalosaurus. Yeah, they call that the wastebasket taxon. Yeah. But then over time, we've kind of refined our view of it. This one specifically came from England. And the name Metriacanthosaurus means moderately spined lizard. <laughs> yeah, and that's because it has moderately sized spines <laughs> on its back. Yeah, not like Spinosaurus, but, you know, something sort of of that ilk just a lot smaller not a lot moderately small <laughs> yeah that's true 
<laughs> it is carnivorous, and it's described as medium-sized, but really, it's really small, especially by Jurassic Park standards. It's estimated only to weigh about a ton, and we don't really know how long it is because we don't have enough of the bones to really get a good picture of it, but compared to other sort of therap- theropods, it's... Yeah, moderately sized, I guess it's fair. But it's only about 20 feet or 6 meters long. And compared to the way that Jurassic Park tends to scale up dinosaurs, this one's still pretty small. Although, I guess they would probably scale it up similarly. Mm-hmm. So, maybe expect something 30 feet long, probably taller than a person at the head. Or maybe it just appears in a hologram. Yeah. They do occasionally make dinosaurs smaller too, though, because a Dilophosaurus is about this size in real life, but in the movie they scrunched it way down and then gave it a frill and made it spit venom. True. So they could do something crazy, you never know. The next dinosaur that we want to talk about is Herrerasaurus. That one might be in the movie, we don't know. Again, there are some toys about it, so we think it might be coming in. It was also in the Jurassic Park brochure, (laughs) but it doesn't appear in any of the films or the novels. So this would be the first appearance of Herrerasaurus. And Herrerasaurus means Herrera's lizard, named after the rancher who discovered the dinosaur. And really, this guy is pretty small. I'm kind of surprised that they're even making toys about it. The dinosaur, not the rancher. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Because the the holotype Herrerasaurus was only about 13 feet long, so even significantly smaller the last dinosaur we talked about, and only about four feet tall. So we're talking even smaller than the depictions of Velociraptor in Jurassic Park. It's really getting kind of small. Yeah, but that makes sense because it's one of the earliest dinosaurs. It lived in the Triassic period. Very true. Yeah, a lot of the early ones were smaller. And the earliest one, this holotype, weighed about 460 pounds or 210 kilograms. Later, though, they did find a slightly larger specimen, that might have been about the same height as a human, so then you're talking more like the quote-unquote velociraptors that they show in Jurassic Park. Kind of looks like a Utah raptor, although quite a bit skinnier. So if they portrayed it in the movie, I'm guessing it would be a lot like the raptors that they show, except it doesn't have the claws on its feet. And this one wouldn't have had feathers, but they never depict the raptors as having feathers anyway. So I don't really know how different it would look. It seems like... There'd be a lot of overlap between these two. Unless they just beef it way up and say like, oh yeah, Herrerasaurus got huge. (laughs) (laughs) And do something totally different. Or maybe give it some kind of unique feature. Like they mix it in with some other dinosaur and then it has camouflage or can run extra fast or jump really high or do something special. They were fast runners. Yeah. So maybe they made them extra fast in the movie. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. We've also got Suchomimus, which... We are also, again, not sure if it will be in the film, but it does have a toy. (laughs) (laughs) We have no uh, insight into what's going to actually make it into the film, so... (laughs) Yeah, but the toys seem like a good guess at at what might be in the film. And some of them we do know, because we've seen them in trailers and things like that. But these first three, we definitely don't know. Yeah. So this one is a... They call it a crocodile mimic, and if you're familiar with some of these early and mesozoic creatures there's a whole class of dinosaurs that have that suco root there's the pseudosuchians which are crocodile-like animals and those, those are some of my favorite ones because they actually sort of 
they remind me of a mixture of a dog and a crocodile because they walk on four legs and their legs are directly underneath them, but they're all crocodile shaped. Mm-hmm. So and the head. Yeah, and they have a big crocodile like head, although it is a little bit shorter and more dog ish like sort of. This is a really weird looking creature, and Sukomimus is kind of like that too. It's a it's kind of a you know more crocodile looking thing and. It's a spinosaurid, which you might have been able to guess from that, because spinosaurids are the sort of crocodile-ish sort of body plan. They have that longer head, they have the sharper pointy teeth, which are good for catching fish and things like that. And Well, actually, it's pretty similar to Baryonyx, which yeah. is definitely going to be in the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom movie. Ooh, that'd be interesting to have both. And yeah. then one in real life, they think... Sukumimus was larger than Baryonyx, so I don't know how they would portray it in the movie. Yeah, I think the creature, which is going to be Baryonyx from the trailer, they're really showing as huge. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Sukumimus is estimated to be about 34 to 36 feet long and weigh between 2.5 and, and 5 tons, which is a pretty large range. But again, it's really hard to tell from just bones how much an animal weighed. Mm-hmm. That's just based on the specimen they found, which wasn't even an adult. Yeah, so, I mean, you're talking a pretty big animal. It's not really in the same realm as Spinosaurus, because Spinosaurus, the lower estimate is six tons versus the three tons for this guy, or two and a half tons. And some people estimate Spinosaurus can be up to about 50 feet long, so it's really quite a bit bigger than Sukumimus. Maybe that could also be how it plays into it. Maybe there's some Spinosaurus-Sukumimus conflict. Mm. Spinosaurus rumbles in all huge after the Sukumimus is causing some havoc. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Could happen. And just like Spinosaurus, it's got the same sort of body plan. It's got that long snout with narrow jaws. It's got the long, narrow nostrils, probably a muscly neck, likely an aquatic or semi-aquatic lifestyle because it looks like it was probably eating fish based on its teeth. And it had about 122 teeth, by the way. Ooh. It's a lot of teeth. It is. <laughs> And yeah, so we're looking at another similar to Spinosaurus without the spine, a little bit smaller kind of dinosaur. Oh, it didn't have any neural spines? I thought it had some kind of sail or hump, maybe not as big as Spinosaurus. Yeah, it looks like it had a little bit of a sail and or hump. (laughs) I guess it would be or hump. It'd be weird if it had partial sail, partial hump. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And if you're not familiar, sometimes we say that it might have been a hump, Mostly because modern animals that have these sort of neural spines, we keep saying neural spines, but we never described what they were. They're basically the spines that stick out of the top of vertebrae, just like on Spinosaurus. But in something like a modern bison, they have these similar sort of spines sticking up on their back. But in bison, they don't have a sail, obviously. They just have a big hump sort of thing on their back. Actually, it's almost as wide as the rest of its back, so you don't even notice it until you see the skeleton. And then you see like, oh, they have these crazy spines in their back. And it just kind of makes this one elongated hump that makes the animal look so much bigger. Well, it's also it, good for storing food or yeah. thermal regulation. Yeah, so it's like a different kind of meat up there. <laughs> you know, It's more <laughs> fat and stuff like that than muscle because you don't need muscle at the top part of your back like that. But there have been hypotheses that they could have used extra muscle up there to add some sort of rigidity or strength in some weird way. But usually now they just think of it as a display structure, and either a hump or a spine would work that way. 
I think the reason that sometimes they talk about Suchomimus potentially having a hump is that the spines are so much lower that it kind of matches. If you look at it, you can imagine it with a hump more than Spinosaurus, where it's like the hump is half of its body at that point. It just seems ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, so we're not really sure exactly, but it is smaller definitely than Spinosaurus. What you going to do with all that hump? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to watch the movie and find out. <laughs> <laughs> And then this leads into the next one, Baryonyx, which we know is going to be in the movie because it's been mentioned lots of places. And it's in the trailers. Yeah. And it's also been in some of the previous material. It was in the Jurassic Park brochure, and it was also mentioned by Billy, one of our favorite characters. Ah, Billy. Yeah. He's good at dying. uh, (laughs) Oh. Or almost dying, at least. In Jurassic Park 3... When he was trying to figure out what attacked them, and he's like, oh, maybe it was a Baryonyx, but really, it turned out to be a Spinosaurus, of course. And then, now it's on the Jurassic World website, which is another clue that it'll be in the movie. And like we said before, Baryonyx is quite a bit smaller than Spinosaurus and Suchomimus. It's only about 25 feet, or 7.5 meters long, and it only weighed about a ton, or a little over a ton. Yeah, but it's not clear whether Baryonyx had neural spines or a hump. Because they didn't find that many bones of Baryonyx, and it looks like maybe it was a younger version. So maybe as it got older, it developed this hump or neural spines, but it's unclear. Yeah, that's interesting. I think in Jurassic World, they could go either way. Although, based on what I've seen, it looks like it probably doesn't have a sail. So I'm not sure. I can't remember now from the trailer. Although that might have been the Suchomimus. I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of hard to tell just from pictures in a trailer because they would look so similar. How would you know which is which? Oh, in the trailer, everyone's been calling that one Baryonyx. Yeah, but could have been a Suchomimus too. It's hard to say. I think part of the reason people talk about Baryonyx more is just because it's a little bit older. It was named significantly earlier, and I think that lends a sort of household name (laughs) factor to it. People are just more aware of it. Because Baryonyx was named back in 1986 from an English specimen that was discovered in 1983, whereas Suchomimus wasn't named until 1998 based on specimens that were found the year earlier. So it was kind of around before that, and it was big news because it's a Spinosaurid, and the only other one we knew about, at least that most people knew about, <laughs> was Spinosaurus. So. Oh yeah, and that was lost... Almost everything we knew about that was lost during World War II, and it wasn't until, was it 2014, very recently, that we got more information about Spinosaurus. Yeah, but that almost added extra legend to Spinosaurus, because all the bones were destroyed, and it it makes it even more mythical. And plus, it's probably the longest theropod that we know about, Mm -hmm. so it's got certain... Je ne sais quoi. Yeah. (laughs) And then last, we've got... Stygimoloch, everybody's favorite dinosaur to talk about how it didn't actually exist. (laughs) It's also a fun name to say. It is a really good one. And I hope that the science shakes out that it is actually a real dinosaur. The name translates to Styx demon, meaning like the river of Styx from Greek and Roman mythology, which is just amazing. And that kind of implies that it's sort of this god of the underground And it's based on the fact that it looks so strange. If you're not familiar, it's just like Pachycephalosaurus. It's got that same sort of body plan to it. It doesn't quite have the same size dome head. It's a significantly smaller dome. But it does have way bigger horns 
around the back of its head, which makes it look just awesome. Those demon horns. Yeah, it, it looks devilish for sure. We don't know what role, if any, it will play in Jurassic World. We think it'll play a big role, but it's hard to say exactly. Yeah, there was a Snapchat post for the movie that confirmed that it will be in the film. Yeah, so that seems to imply that it'll be a pretty big part in the movie. Yeah, but Stygimoloch has all kinds of controversy in the, I guess, paleontological world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's some scientists who think that it's not its own genus, and then there are others who think that it does deserve its own name. Yeah, there's a famous TED Talk by Jack Horner where he puts in Stygimoloch, Draco Rex, and Pachycephalosaurus, and he says Pachycephalosaurus is the adult, and Stygimoloch and Draco Rex are just... Different growth stages of that same dinosaur. Yep. I think Draco Rex is the smallest, and then Stygimoloch's the middle. Draco Rex also has an amazing name because it's Draco Rex Hogwarts Eye, named after Draco Malfoy. And Hogwarts. And Hogwarts, from, both from Harry Potter, obviously. So I, again, really hope that those names stick around. This guy really wasn't that big, which I think is another piece of evidence that it may have been a juvenile. It was only about 10 feet or just over 3 meters long, and yeah, so it's kind of a small guy. Smaller than Pachycephalosaurus, which you're probably familiar with, at least from Jurassic Park, The Lost World, where they go on the island and they grab one with that awesome car and it's like airbags that puff out and snag it. <laughs> so think of something just like that, but with a smaller dome on its head, bigger horns, and probably overall a slightly smaller dinosaur. Well, also more horns, too, because it had these clusters on the back. Yeah. Well, they supposedly turned into those little knobs that are on the back of Pachycephalosaurus. Which, Again, that depends who you ask. I find that just so unbelievable, personally. Why would a horn shrink down to a knob if you're increasing your display structures? I don't know. Garrett's a splitter. There's a whole <laughs> thing where, and we kind of joke about this, but it, there's a lot of people who talk about this in the paleontological world. They call them lumpers and splitters, people who want to lump a bunch of dinosaurs together as one taxon and then others who want to split them into a whole bunch of different I'm ones. generally a splitter, yes. Yep. <laughs> Even though I don't have any official paleontological training, I still like splitting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's basically what we have for Stygimoloch. And we got to talk about another kind of dinosaur. Half the ones we've been talking about are Spinosaurids. Luckily, we do have another herbivore. We've got Sinoceratops, and the Sino in Sinoceratops comes from the Latin word for China. So it basically just means Chinese horned dinosaur, if you want to look at it that way. And it was named pretty recently. It wasn't named until 2010. So I think it's the newest dinosaur in this list. And it wasn't even found until 2008, so nobody even knew that this type of dinosaur existed. But there is a huge diversity of ceratopsians. So you've got things like triceratops that have the two really big horns and the one small horn. You've got other ones that kind of flip it. They have a really big nose horn and smaller brow horns, and those tend to have bigger ornaments around their frill. And that's what kind of dinosaur this one is. It's got kind of bumps all the way around its frill, sort of like little hornlets around the edge and then it's got a bigger nose horn. It's really cool looking. Apparently, originally, they were going to use Pachyrhinosaurus, which is... <laughs> I always think of it... I think its nose is gross. Because <laughs> they call it a nasal boss, 
but to me it just looks like a calloused heel. It's just kind of, it's just unpleasant looking. I really don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor dinosaur. Yeah, it, and it still has little brow horns, but it's got a more ornamental frill, which is really where it's at for Pachyrhinosaurus, and also for Cynoceratops, basically. The weird thing about it is, apparently they were still deciding between the two dinosaurs when they were in the early development of the movie, so dinosaurs' toys were made, and they started making these Pachyrhinosaurus ones with the nasal boss and then they switched <laughs> to Sinoceratops so there at least have been pictures made of Sinoceratops labeled Pachyrhinosaurus toys I don't think any of have any of them have made it out yet so I think those will maybe get relabeled or repackaged it's kind of hard to say but they might be a special collector's item if you can find one of these clearly mislabeled dinosaurs and then as far as what it's going to look like in the movie, we know that Sinoceratops grew to about 20 feet or 6 meters long and weighed about 2 tons. So it's not a huge dinosaur. By comparison, Triceratops is estimated between 8 and 9 meters or 26 to 29 feet long. So significantly bigger, almost 50% bigger. Triceratops is bigger? Yeah. Yeah. And Triceratops is also estimated to weigh between 6 and 12 tons. So that's <laughs> weighs like 3 to, I don't know, 6 times as much. So a lot bigger. If they do portray this one, I expect them to at least show it as slightly smaller than Triceratops. Hopefully they don't make it bigger. They could make it bigger. They could make it the same size. Yeah, and... Maybe they get in a fight. I guess the caveat too always is they're doing genetic engineering. So that means you can do whatever you want. Because you can always either just say it's an error in the coding, or they spliced it with this other thing, or they intentionally scaled it up, and then all the stuff we've said is just out the window. It could be whatever size you want. <laughs> but we do know it'll be in the movie, because it's appeared in the trailers. Yeah, we saw it in there. And you can definitely tell it's Sinoceratops, because it has a very characteristic frill, and that's definitely what you see in the movie. So yeah, if you feel like learning more about these dinosaurs because we dive pretty deep into yeah. our podcast and we've covered these all in our dinosaur of the day segments already plus almost all of the ones that have either appeared or will appear in the jurassic park or jurassic world series then yeah check out our podcast i yeah and it's really easy to find these dinosaurs because the title of our show includes the dinosaur of the day so if you search for that dinosaur and our podcast name then you'll find that episode where we talk about it yeah we're also running a giveaway right now kind of to celebrate jurassic world fallen kingdom <laughs> the giveaway is courtesy of trx dinosaurs and we're giving away a full-scale velociraptor it's valued at about $500, and you can get to a link in our show notes each week until jurassic world comes out in the u.s like yeah june 21st 22nd yeah, and obviously when we say full-scale Velociraptor, we're talking about the real Velociraptor, not the Jurassic Park Velociraptor. So it's about two feet tall and six feet long, not six feet tall and 20 feet long, or however, however big that super enormous Velociraptor is. And it also is portrayed with feathers, because Velociraptor definitely did have feathers. <laughs> yeah, it'll fit comfortably in your living room. Yes, but it is very lightweight, and we're offering free shipping, so it will show up at your door if you win it and you're in an eligible area. We do have to say it's open to residents of the U.S. and Canada, except for Quebec and where prohibited only, which 
We just had to do based on giveaway rules. But no purchase is necessary, and you can have one entry per household per episode, and the complete rules are on our website at inodino.com. Yeah. So if you want to enter, just grab our show notes, and there'll be a link in each episode's show notes, and you can enter once an episode, and hopefully you win. <laughs> Back to you, Brad. Happy Jurassicking. Somebody else will. Due to technical difficulties, all our exhibits are now closed. You are acting like we are engaged in some kind of mad science. And Zara here is going to take great care of you until I'm done working tonight, okay? Bigger, scarier, um, cooler, I believe is the word that you use in your memo. Any incidents? Yeah, six kids in the lost and found, uh, 28 down with heat stroke. All of this exists because of me. Just like taking a stroll through the woods 65 million years ago. Hello everybody, it is Tom here with a quick report on MCM Comic Con in London that has happened this past weekend in May. So I believe it was around May the 26th? I want to say May the 26th, yep it was. Uh, so that was Saturday, I got to go up, I got to visit the convention, my good friend Charlotte over at Funko actually helped me to apply for a creator pass, so that meant that I could take all my camera equipment in, my tripod, everything like that, and actually go in and get some video content for you guys, which was really, really fun. Um, obviously, we are a podcast, so I do want to look at in the future purchasing some higher-end audio recording software and some hardware so that I can actually go out and get audio recordings on the go for you guys rather than doing um, post-action report style pieces. But yeah, so MCM was really fun. Um, In terms of the Jurassic World presence, the Universal booth was very heavily Jurassic World branded. It was really, really nice to see. There were Jurassic World logos everywhere. Um, the two posters, so the poster of owning Claire against the gyrosphere and then the poster of the T-Rex roaring, they were absolutely everywhere and um, there was some Life Finds Away branding uh, everywhere as well which was really really cool, really nice to see. They had the trailer playing frequently at different places across the venue uh, there was Jurassic World branding on the doorways, you know, in uh, kind of like light up banners above the doorways. There were banners hanging down from the ceiling. There really was a lot of Jurassic World branding all across MCM this year. And I have to give a massive shout out to Universal Pictures UK because they did a phenomenal job of really, really bringing that branding to the forefront and really just getting it everywhere. I mean, everywhere from the trailer playing on the big screen, on the green at Excel for anyone who knows the venue, to um, just general branding around the venue. It was really spot on, and there was some great brand presence. Um, In terms of the other things, there was the Oculus Rift VR game. So the blue experience, you guys will know, where you basically get immersed on Isla Nublar as you watch Blue hunt down a baby Triceratops before Mount Cyber erupts. Um, 
Oculus had partnered with Universal UK to do that on the stool, which was really, really cool. It was really nice actually getting to try that because I don't have any VR equipment myself. So had I not gone to MCM, I would never have really got to try that experience. That was really, really cool. And I'm excited to see what they do next because I think people were saying there's going to be another part to that, which will be really cool to see. Um, possibly Lockwood Manor. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, that was very, very fun. Um, then there was the gyrosphere there. So they had the damaged gyrosphere, similar to the one that Claire and Franklin are in, but in a lot worse shape. Um, and also a statue of blue. Now, the gyrosphere was familiar. I don't know if it was the damaged one from Jurassic World after it gets attacked by the Indominus, but it did look a lot like that one. So I am wondering if it was that actual prop. Um, it was really, really cool to see. And the... Gyrosphere actually had the Indominus tooth buried in the back of it as well, which was really, really cool. So it was really nice getting to see that prop up close. The statue of blue they had was also really, really nice. And it was a fantastic photo opportunity for any Jurassic fans who really wanted to head there and experience it. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'd also quickly like to say I went up with Raptor Chaser. So you guys know I did the set visit with him. I also met our good friend Dan. And I also got to meet Sam H, which was really, really fun. So I met a bunch of really, really cool people and had a really, really fun day. And actually, as part of meeting some cool people, I got to go and hang out with some really, really awesome cosplayers in the community. So people like Dante, um, who you can find on Facebook. He shared the photo album I've done, and any of you who have me on Facebook will see that. Uh, there was Paul Lauder, Jenny Wood, and a bunch of other really, really cool Jurassic Park fans who I actually had the pleasure of doing a photo shoot with. So that was really, really fun. And honestly, it was something I didn't expect I'd get to do, but it was something that just kind of happened, and it was an absolute blast. And then I also got to do an interview with Anthony from... Um, well, he's one of the people who is involved in the... Jurassic Park collectible coins. So you'll have seen the Amber Kane coin before, and MCM was actually the debut of um debut. What am I saying? Debut. There we go. Of a new T Rex coin that they've done. We have a video interview with him coming up, but I'm also gonna paste the audio from that interview in here for anyone who just wants to listen to that. So guys, MCM was fantastic. Had such a blast. Lots of really nice Jurassic World presents there. And really hope you enjoy all the coverage and content we've got coming up from MCM. So guys, that's all from me. I'm going to leave you with the audio from my chat with Anthony. And as always, guys, I hope you have a great week. Anthony, how did you decide to make the limited edition Jurassic Park 25th anniversary coin the T-Rex and see before us? And what kind of process went into the production of the coin? Well, when we were thinking about uh, what the subject matter should be for this coin we wanted it to be uh, something iconic something that all the fans uh, would appreciate and, and understand and when we uh, did our first coin we chose the mosquito in the amber on top of John Hammond's cane and we thought that was kind of a, a good way to start things off but I think it, the natural progression would be the t-rex uh, you know it's it's the it's the dinosaur yes the velociraptors uh, played a, a, an important part in the first film but we thought it was really the T-Rex I think that was the bad boy that uh, everybody wanted to see so we knew that that was the, the next step uh, there will be a Velociraptor 
Bitcoin coming out. However, that is exclusive to uh, a UK retailer. I can't say any more than that, uh, but that will be exclusive to them. But this T-Rex is available to all. Okay, so it's online on the website now, isn't it, for anyone who wants to get it and through all the different retailers who have the product? Yeah, well, um, it's on the smartarts.gallery um, website right now, yep. um, and then it's going to be, over the next uh, week or two, it's going to start appearing on other retail websites. Um, there was a bit of an embargo on until London MCM was out of the way, as uh, it was to be launched here. Uh, but now, well, once the show's finished, then you'll start to see it uh, appearing online. It's limited edition, individually numbered, uh, embossed on both sides, and it's got the 25th anniversary uh, logo on the back. Can we take a look at the other side? Yep. Perfect. And what's it been like getting to work on a Jurassic Park project? Has it been fun? Oh yes, yeah, definitely. Because we uh, we don't just do the coins; we also do uh, limited edition art prints. Uh, so working with artists from all over the world, uh, lots of different subject matter there, and uh, all different sizes as well. So uh, the art prints have been fun, but I think that the coins have been something really special, really collectible. I think what Universal wanted to do is they wanted something that would be an affordable collectible. Yes, you can buy statues out there which are three hundred pounds, but we wanted something that every fan could afford and I think uh, and that's why I think the the initial coin the uh, the, the mosquito in the in the amber uh, virtually sold out because you know, it was only you know between 10 and 15 pound retail yeah perfect well thank you very much for your time today and thank you for telling us a little bit more about the brand new Jurassic Park 25th anniversary coin that people can get their hands on all right thank you very much for coming along Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast, and of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Thanks for listening to the 152nd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, a big thanks to Arjun for putting together episode 23 of Extinction Level. He does an amazing job basically every other week here on the podcast with this radio drama. And so many amazing members of the community have been participating since the beginning. So kudos to all of you guys as well. Let's not forget to thank the amazing Sabrina and Garrett from Ino Dino for their awesome contribution to the show today. I'll admit it, I'm a little lax when it comes to all the dinosaur facts out there, so I'm really glad that they could bring you all the details here today. Now, don't miss all of their links in our show notes, and check out Ino Dino on your favorite podcast app. It's really worth it. And lastly, let's thank Mr. Tom Fishenden for heading out to MCM Comic Con this past weekend. He did an incredible job covering that show out there. Got a ton of great content coming up for you on our YouTube, our website, and more, so make sure to keep your eye out for all of that. Thanks, Tom. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast, and our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, 
Google Play, Podomatic, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help out our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, or if you want to debut a segment of your own, Send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you can submit questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.